Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. At long last, I'm David Woods <laughs> from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, it is lovely to hear your beautiful voice yet again. It's like a siren that, song of angels. That's how I feel about you, Dave. Yeah. I, I mean, we're really sorry we haven't done a broadcast. Um, our our studios, those, I mean, multi-million dollar studios that you Obviously. and I have. Yeah, we had, I mean, what? We had an earthquake and it fell into like the crevice into the middle of the earth and uh, oh, we're out of studios right now. Yeah, so I mean, I think, well, there was that incident with, you know, our, our good friend Ben Howland peeing in it again. Um, <laughs> but you just can't have, right? It's like it's like a poorly trained dog. Um, so that scent was just there for a long time and... Uh, but now my favorite part of that story was not necessarily that he peed on the lawn. I think the beginning of it was that he was at dinner and he took the salad tongs and acted like they were motorcycle handlebars and went <laughs> 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 just thinking about Ben Howland doing that. It was a great story. But we we do want to apologize. There's been some things that you know, unavoidable things in our lives. Dave and I have real lives. And it's been really hard to just time this and schedule this. So we apologize. Yes, deeply. Um, <laughs> no, come on. No way. Um, all right. <laughs> but we do have um, a lot to discuss today. We're doing this, um, I would say, somewhat stupidly, just a few hours before the UCLA-Colorado game. So we're going to talk about that theoretically. Many of you probably... I, I wouldn't say somewhat, but yeah. Okay, Okay, a lot stupidly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, a, just a few hours before the Colorado game. So we're going to talk about that in like a hypothetical sense, um, kind of the scenarios coming out of that. But by the time you listen to this, many of you, uh, that game will have already happened. So eh, what are you going to do, right? What are you going to do? So maybe we should add a little bit of what happens in the scenario if they lose also. Yeah, we're going to do both. Yeah. Um, okay. And then uh, a couple of little football items. But we want to start with the Hoops team uh, because they have um, – Completely. Because they're fun, Dave. Yeah, they're fun. Yeah, they're a fun team to watch now. Um, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just take you through it right now because it was basically one thing, well, two things. Um, this is my assessment uh, on Wednesday, January fifteenth against Stanford. Uh, UCLA began to start Jalen Hill and David Singleton over Cody Riley and Prince Ali. Since that game, UCLA is eight and three. Yeah, that's that's my take on what has happened. And obviously, there's been some other stuff going on. But if you're looking for the main reason this has happened, it was a personnel switch. And it's interesting too, because I, I mean, you can't attribute it all to David Singleton, but there was, and I hate to keep pounding on the guy, but there was addition by subtraction, just merely because of Prince Ali. Yeah, and I, I and I don't want to make it into like, oh, David Singleton is just crushing exactly. it. Exactly, it's it's the combo effect where you take away somebody who, look, Prince Ali. You know, I think he came into the season trying to be more of that leader role. He was trying to do things, but it's hard to unlearn a bunch of bad habits um, from your first years in college. And unfortunately, none of these guys had been coached really before. Mick Cronin came in. So that's a tough thing to do in your final year. And it, it hasn't been successful. Um, and so him being out there, I mean, his, his plus minus was almost invariably one of the worst on the team every single game. 
um, getting Singleton in there, even if it was the Singleton of midseason, which slowly started to not look like that, slowly it's starting to look more like the player we saw last year, at least he's not out there making mistakes all the time. At least he's not yeah. turning the ball over a bunch. At least how, he's not how many turnovers? Shots. How many turnovers does he have for the season? I think he's, it's picked up a little bit because he's actually been trying to do more, which is one of the knocks on Singleton. But his turnover right. rate um, for a guard is really, really good. It's 14.7%. Um, that is lower than Hawkes, lower than Campbell, lower than Prince Ali, um, lower than Chris Smith. Um, he's the best on the team at taking care of the ball. Right. Um, and I mean, we'll actually get minutes. Wait, I, I want to see exactly how many he has. Oh, you like absolute counts. Well, it's just funny to think he has 13 turnovers on the season. <laughs> 13. Chris Smith has 64. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, but I'm not even, you know, just 13. Turn- I-, I was going to be surprised if he were in double figures. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and the thing, the thing there is it's also a function of usage rate. Like, if you don't have – and it's like – Singleton isn't, like, using a lot of possessions. He's not shooting the ball a ton. He's not, you know, holding on to it for longer than a couple of seconds every time. So you wouldn't anticipate him having a ton of turnovers. But he isn't making mistakes with the ball. He's not passing it and getting picked off a bunch. Um, So that by itself, um, big improvement over Prince Ali. And then of late, um, maybe the function of getting all that time and, uh, you know, belief from Cronin... Singleton's starting to round into form a little bit, looking more like the player we saw last year. Right. Yeah, I mean, he's up to just about 40% f- uh, shooting threes, and probably in the last, I'd have to look again, but uh, obviously he's shooting probably close to 50% last several games. I, I don't even think he's all the way back to who he to what he was last year. I think he's still not quite there. But... You know, we we got to do a little horn tooting, so get out your horn. I mean, yeah. um, <laughs> we are not a podcast of... <laughs> no, that was... Of, uh, you can hear every dollar we've put into the studio. All of the many <laughs> thousands of dollars we've put into this thing, the many thousands of dollars to get the urine sent out, you can hear it all. There we go. Yeah. I had to download that app because my daughter, it, you know, it's a thing among uh, younger 20 somethings. That's that sound. They do that. Yeah. yeah so I couldn't do it. So I had to download. Right. Yeah. What were we talking about? <laughs> um, we were talking about David Singleton. Yes. And, um, and horn tooting, uh, and it's not that you and I are geniuses. Dave, you're not a genius. I'm just going to tell you. I know you think you are. You're not a genius, Dave. Okay? I mean, I'm, I'm okay. Okay. Okay, you believe what the hell you, you want to believe. Like, it's but, me uh, and Stephen Hawking. Like, we each chose our different paths, right? He chose to be an astrophysicist. <laughs> I chose to uh, shitpost on Twitter. But. <laughs> Both commendable. Look, equal achievements, uh-huh. right? Yes, they're going to both save save humanity. Exactly. You, um, what were we talking about? Hard uh, and we all and it, I, everyone on our on our forum can take credit too. We all, from what we saw, David Singleton, we thought he would be a key to this season, and we all also equally thought that Prince Ali 
would not be. And you can't blame this. There is no bit of blame we can give the staff at all. But it obviously took them a while. And I think it's because if you don't know Prince Ali and you're coming in with fresh, fresh eyes and you haven't watched him for the last, how many years has he been there? Like 27 years. <laughs> um, you might think you have a guy and, and you're confident in your ability to you know, develop a player. And you see him, he's athletic and he's probably shooting the ball pretty well in, <laughs> in practice. But ultimately, he, you need a guy who not only hasn't been coached by Steve Alford for four years, but also just it's the nature of someone. Like, does he have that burning desire to actually be a good player? You know, there are a lot of very talented uh, players out there who just don't have it. And I don't know if he, if he does. And I think it took them a while to discover that. Uh, and probably on the other hand, David Singleton was not, they were looking at practice and they weren't seeing the guy that they're seeing now too. Yeah. If you, if you saw McCronin's comment about David Singleton, that, that was, that was some great stuff. Did you see those comments? Oh, Dave? it was so great. And like talking about him as, and the things that I think we understood from watching him last year, not just in terms of what he was doing on the court, but the way, even as a freshman, he was like, you know being kind of that emotional leader in a lot of ways, um, that's what they're now recognizing about him, uh, that leadership and toughness, um, which as like a culture establishing guy, you know, I think Cronin, to his credit, immediately recognized um, Hawkes as that guy, you know, somebody who's going to be developing our identity as a program. I think he now understands that Singleton is a big part of that as well. And one other guy. Um, Jalen Hill. Yeah. So Jalen Hill was another guy who at the end of last year had established himself to me as one of kind of those three key cogs coming back. Him, Singleton, and and Jules Bernard actually played so well at the end of last year with such toughness that I was like, okay, these three guys could be a real core. Um, Hill, it's taken a little bit of a little bit as well, but at the same time that Singleton was inserted into the starting lineup. Hill was as well um, on a permanent basis, and he's really, I think, established himself as a, as a very good post. I mean, look at what he did against Utah, because I think this is instructive about what sets Hill apart. He didn't take a shot, did not take any shot, no recorded shots, had eight free throws. Yeah. And made yeah. seven of them. That's a sign. To me, that's one key sign of a good team is that you're manufacturing points because you can play great defense and, you know, defense can be inconsistent, but most of the time you, you know, you can control defense. A lot of times offense, sometimes you can just have wide open shots and miss them all. I mean, offense is such a variable thing, but if you have a team that can manufacture points by, by drawing fouls and making free throws, that is, that is a thing you can always fall back on offensively. And, I mean, Jalen Hill's, you know, a decent free throw shooter. This is a decent free throw shooting team. Oh, so, yeah. I, I would say for a big, I mean, it's yeah. it's better than decent. He's like at yeah. 70, what is he at? 73% right now. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I, his you know, free one other thing rate too. is 80%. Yeah. So he has yeah. taken a total of 150 shots this year. He's taken almost 120 free throws. Yeah. That's a sign. That's how you make points. <laughs> yeah. I just have to say one more thing about 
Mick Cronin's comments. He couldn't <laughs> he couldn't go like a whole comment about David Singleton without you know casting a, a few little aspersions on other players, <laughs> which is great. He takes everything as serious as our other guys need to take it. So good. <laughs> He's got to always call out someone else, which is obviously this is working. So, yeah, and no, but you're right about you're right about Jalen Hill. Jalen Hill, a uh, little like inside information on like we saw him last year. Remember, and one of our takeaways is that when he plays, he plays hard. <laughs> yeah. Right. His it's his problem is the maturity and focus. I mean, he will get unfocused at times. It's not like he he doesn't play hard. He's just, I mean, there have been a couple of times where I think he like had an alley oop dunk and he was like pounding his chest and forgot to run back and someone someone jetted right by him and you know laid the ball in. There's just certain and even when he's you know like on the defensive end, he'll lose focus. It's not that he's not playing hard, yeah. and that's that's just a sign of maturity. And we've seen him take a big leap, and it would be nice if he stayed with the team and took another big leap next year, yeah. which is maybe another something we should talk about. Yes, we should. Um, so I want to talk about one other guy first, and then we can talk about NBA crap. Um, so one of the weird things, so with, with Singleton um, starting, Prince Ali really hasn't played a whole lot and hasn't really improved his level of play too much, which, again, redshirt senior, that's tough to do. Totally get it, and I don't want to dog him. Yeah, But the interesting thing with the Jalen Hill move is that it seems to have, after a couple of games of, I'm not going to say pouting, but just not knowing what his new role is, uh, it seems to have lit a fire under Cody Riley, um, who's suddenly playing really hard on defense, really hard, um, and also seems to have kind of settled down his post game a little bit, suddenly converting yeah. at a great clip at the basket. His footwork seems to have settled down quite a bit, and he looks a little bit more like the offensive player uh, we were expecting coming into this year. It, it's funny what when if you if you know basketball at all, or, or you've been around a lot of coaches, the the big thing that that people say is when someone makes a big leap is when they just calm down and slow down, like they do not hurry themselves and for bigs a lot of times that means they're lunging they're lunging at the basket they're they're just trying to do too much too quickly and you can literally see it i mean if cody riley who doesn't have incredible hops and he's lunging he's essentially making himself what six three yeah six three six four <laughs> so just keep your shoulders square stay up and down move your whole body and if he does that I just, by the way, I'm getting a lot of this from Ben Hallen. This is what Ben Hallen taught me. I just want you to know. I'm not a, this is Ben Hallen mm -hmm. lecturing me in a high school gym over multiple summers. You move your body and you keep your shoulders square and a big guy like Cody Riley has wide shoulders. He has this space that no one's going to be able to get into. And if they do, they're going to foul him. And when you lunge and move too fast, you take that all away and he he's been doing it in I don't even know the last three two three four games with three four games, and the one game when he won in overtime. I've got a little bit more insider insight. You know, Cody Riley is is reportedly a really I don't know him that well, but I I've heard he's a very good kid, nice kid, works his ass off. So 
the fact that this is all happening to him where he was really not playing well was was really I thought one of the tra- the tragedies of the season because you'd like to see kids who are good kids who play hard do well and then when he had that overtime surge and and he's not a talkative kid he's not a kid that that says a lot of things he just works hard he's kind of stoic but I heard it in the locker room after that game everyone was jumping all over him and he actually like you know, broke a smile and you could see the emotion. And from what I've heard from observers who were in, uh, not that I was there, um, <laughs> but the little spy cameras we have everywhere are really, they're so cheap now and they yeah. really work. It's yeah. great. Um, but they, from what I heard, that was one of the better moments of the entire season was Cody Riley really feeling good, you know, getting some satisfaction and for a stoic kid, actually, like, breaking a smile and showing some emotion. So, yeah, I wanted to share that, Dave. No, that's great. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so that's been kind of the uh, – the if I was picking out the main reasons um, why this thing has surged quite a bit, um, the two guys coming in, Cody Riley not completely quitting and getting um, actually better, those are actually the main ones. Now – if we're talking about other things, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Chris Smith um, went to the Thomas Welsh School, I think, of mid-range jump shots recently, um, and he came back with um, basically an automatic 10-footer. Is that about right? Oh, you just jinxed this, man. You jinxed it. He's going to miss like three 10-footers today because you said that. It's freaky, though, watching him. Like that one, I think it was Washington State, that one like he got in off an inbounds and just basically just turned around and threw it up and then walked away because he knew he was going in. Yeah. Just, ah, wow. Um, Shooting with a lot of confidence right now from mid-range. And, uh, you know, against Utah, I didn't think he played his best game, um, but he's been more consistent over this this stretch and I think that's been a big boon as well um just and then to- today against Colorado I mean he was you would say that he was probably the biggest force in beating Colorado the first time I mean so- when, when and yeah I mean I think if uh if he can have a I mean what did he do against Colorado the first time I think it was 30 and 8 yeah and it, was, eight. it was something freaky yeah 30 30 and 9, nine. With three steals and 15 free throw attempts yeah so yeah just do that again Chris Okay. And and here's the thing. I think Colorado's going to say, okay, we need to take him away. They're going to do what they can do to take him away. Whatever they're going to do. Put their best defender on him, uh, which might be what, uh, Bay? I don't know. Or or do some traps. Do I don't know. Do something. It might. This game might be a matter of other people stepping up while Colorado's trying to take away um, Chris Smith. Yeah, and I would so. say a guy, um, Tiger Campbell, um, has been playing pretty well. Um, he's had a little bit of a lull, I would say, um, of of very late. Um, him him having another one of his really nice games would be critical, because I agree with you. I think they're going to try to take Chris Smith away to whatever extent they can. Um, so getting a step up from, from Tiger Campbell would be huge. Um, but overall, I mean, it, it has been the case that they haven't had to I mean, I think Chris Smith has played well, but they haven't had to rely on him to the extent that they had to at different points this year. Because, look, the last game, Jules Bernard just stepped up and had a great game. Um, at different points, um, Hawkes has had a great game. Um, David Singleton's hit some timely shots. Jalen Hill and Cody Riley have had good games. Um, so they do have um, 
a little bit more diversity on offense um, than they had earlier in the year. Some of it's a product of their defense. You know, they're they're getting they're getting more runouts, not necessarily fast breaks, but at least they're getting back getting out there before the defense is set. Um, and uh, but generally speaking, I mean, they're just they're, the whole team seems to be playing with a lot more confidence. So instead of talking mostly about the Colorado game, because as you said, many of the people who will be listening to this will be after the Colorado game. So Dave, I, the one, one of the reasons I go to bro is to get your, always your data based analysis on like UCLA's chances to win this game or get in the postseason or, and I love it. So go. Okay. <clears throat> My wonky look at this whole thing is right now UCLA sixteen and eleven. Um, they've got some horrendous losses. Um, Hofstra, Fullerton, Washington. Wait, isn't Hofstra like doing well in their conference? Yeah, but it's still it's still no good from like a net rating standpoint. Um, okay, you shouldn't be losing to Hofstra at home. Um, Fullerton, which is horrendous. Uh, Washington State, and then North Carolina is also hovering on the border of a very bad loss. Mm. All of that said, um, UCLA also has some really, really, really good wins, um, two of which are Colorado and Arizona. But even Washington, because of their inexplicably high net rating. Yeah, uh, why is that? I don't get that. They've lost a ton of close games, a ton of them. Um, so uh-huh. they went through a stretch. So, all right, to open Pac-12 play, they lost by three points to, uh, to Cal, three points to Oregon, one point to Utah. Then they got blown out by Colorado. Three points to Arizona, uh, four points to Arizona State, uh, six points to USC. And it's kind of fallen away from them a little bit lately, which is why you're starting to see them drop a little bit more. But part of its margin, part of it's that they beat Baylor to open the year, and Baylor is on Ken Palm, now the number two team in the country. Um, so there's some weirdness going on here, but a lot of it is just the, the margins they're losing by are just not super profound. Mm. Okay. Does it make sense that a team is, who is twelve and fifteen is this high above UCLA that's beaten them twice? Probably not. But yeah, that's yeah, what the analytic no systems sense. will do to you. Yeah. <clears throat> but anyway, okay. that's that's still counting as a pretty good win. The first the first one on the road and the home win is also you know not bad. Um, what they have remaining though is really interesting because between Colorado, Arizona, and USC. Because of the way it works, so Colorado and Arizona would be quad one wins no matter what. Uh, Utah, or sorry, USC, um, because it's on the road, all they have to be is a top 75 team to be a quad one win for UCLA to beat them. Um, and USC is comfortably in the top 75. So those are three more excellent wins that UCLA can get remaining. And that would leave them with, I think when I was doing the count, that would leave them with seven quad one wins. Um from the season now from the season. Yeah. yeah so that's really interesting from a resume standpoint um counting wins and losses they would look like so i think it's the must wins for me for them to be an at large without any action in the pac-12 tournament are colorado arizona and usc i think they might even be able to to afford a loss to arizona state um, but the other three, I think, are must-wins um, to get to the at-large level because they just about, need the win resume. So what's the what's the absolute one they need? It's Colorado. Yeah, Colorado's right. the must-win of all must-wins. Right. Yeah. Um, and if they what get, if they don't? What if they? Let's just do this since that game is today. If they don't 
beat Colorado, but look at different scenarios, beat every other team on their, on, on the remaining schedule, do well in the Pac-12 tournament. They'd be a little bubblicious. Um, and if they do well in the Pac-12 tournament, I think they'll get in. Um, I think the magic number for UCLA is probably getting to like 20, 21 wins. Um, if they don't win out the regular season, if they win out the regular season, whatever they've got 20 and 11, mm-hmm. that'll be good enough for an at large. Can we talk about that that number twenty and eleven? Sure. Because when I did that original <laughs> season prediction, that was the that was what I predicted was twenty and eleven. No, and remember, no, they had it wrong in that thread, Tracy. It was twenty two and nine. Oh, it was. Yeah, they had it wrong. Oh, they, dang. They, no, yeah, no, no, Aaron, Aaron. Can you cut this out? Go back. Let's stop down. <laughs> cut this out. Never. Go back. Never cut this out of the podcast. Never. Our, studio, right, Dave. Our, our studio editing equipment is not yet ready. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah fell into the crevasse. Yep. No, it, no, Aaron had it wrong in that thread. Aaron. Um, Aaron yeah, is so letting me down. God. Okay. Friggin Fine. No, um, no horn tooting. There. No horn tooting. But okay. So yeah, if, um, winning out, I think they're in. <laughs> Sorry. Winning out, I think they're in at large. Um, and like, think about that. It would mean that they had gone twelve and two over the final fourteen games. Now, do you think the NCAA selection committee is going to give UCLA? I mean, they—you got to admit, there's a lot of things where UCLA gets some short shrift. But I would say overall, the NCAA selection committee wants UCLA in the tournament. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if it's if it's all things equal, I think they'll pick UCLA over like random other team. And yeah. frankly, it, it won't be all things equal. If they win out, they're in because they will have had the hottest streak to end the year of probably anybody. They will have beaten in that stretch Colorado and Arizona twice each. Yeah, I'm more interested in in the other scenario. Yeah, and the other no, scenario, I think, not equal. look, any, any, anything where they're two and two over the final four, that's yeah. going to require a lot of work in the Pac-12 tournament and probably winning it. Like, I don't think there's a two and two team that gets in at large. That would leave them, I mean, just from a counting standpoint, that would leave them at 18 and 13, probably not with a super high net. Like, it depends on who the two wins are over, but it would still be something in the, like, 60s and 70s. Um and so they would need to do a lot of work in the Pac-12 tournament, either win it or have the right combination of lead-up wins that, again, boost them back up. Um, so you've really got to think 3-1 and one, um, has to be there to get them on the bubble, like in a real way. And 4-0 puts them comfortably in. Um, so that, that would be my, my learned take on the, on the matter. So, yeah, I don't... Do you like the net? I mean, uh, we should just talk about UCLA in this podcast, but I don't know why this thing is kind of frustrating to me. It's stupid. RPI was I find it stupid. RPI was kind of stupid too. Um, they're both, they're both dumb. stupid, but I find the net even less. I, I can't rationalize it. I look at it and like after UCLA swept the Washington schools, its net didn't change. It, it stayed it at one that, that was another bad thread. Uh, it oh, did it change. Was? Okay. Yeah, it went from a hundred to ninety. Um, but the the thing where they're still behind Washington—that's stupid. Yeah. Um, that's stupid. I that how can that be? And I, you just explained it, but it you still have up, to rhetorically ask how can that be? Some of this stuff matches up pretty well with Ken Palm, 
Um, like Washington is the 65th best team in Ken Palm again, because of all that margin stuff. Um, they have the look of a team that should have a better record right now. They've just gotten very unlucky. Um, mm. and when UCLA has played them, like they've been close, you know, tough games. Um, and Washington's MO has just been kind of collapsing in the last two or three minutes of a game. Um, but I've watched them two other times other than the UCLA games, and they did the same thing yeah. in both those games. Yeah, they just they, they can't handle it. I, I don't know if it's a lack of ball hand, whatever it is, but they just can't hang on. Yeah. Um, but looking at the whole thing, I mean, it's just uh, Alex had a good little breakdown of some of the issues with it, but they're counting like win percentage and like three different factors, which just counting wins and losses doesn't really tell you a whole lot about the quality of a team. Yes, you can generally say a team with a lot of wins is probably pretty good, and a team without a lot of wins is is uh, probably pretty bad. But those teams in the middle, the way we differentiate them is how they're beating teams. What you know, in what ways are they, are they blowing teams out a lot, or is it a lot of really close wins? Um, and if you're just counting the number of wins, you know this 16 win team over this 14-win team just because they have two more wins, so that's kind of stupid. Um, so there's there's just a... It seems like there's a lot of issues with it. Um, I would prefer they just use Ken Palm. It would end with some of the same weird results, like Washington would still be weirdly high, um, but at least it's an analytic system that you, know, you can kind of understand that it's trying to assess team strength, not just, you know, whether or not they've, they've beaten up on a lot of little sisters of the poor. And among all these, Ken Palm makes the most sense to me whenever I just go in just and, you know, eyeball it. You go, oh, okay. That makes sense. It just rationally makes sense. Given what I've, when I watch teams, it reflects what I think most of the time. Yeah. So, yeah, but they would never has, has Colorado is like the number 11 team in the country right now. Yeah. And that's probably overrated. I mean, Colorado's good, but I don't. They're they're not. I don't think they're any threat to make a huge run in the in the NCAA tournament. San Diego State is ranked one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. So let's 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 talk more, just not about this season, because we now have hope. Oh yeah, we do. And and hope when it comes to our listeners, readers, users, <laughs> users. I, I like users. I think yeah. users, is, users yeah. is right. Um, is all about recruiting. Mm-hmm. That's what we sell. I mean, let's just say we're, we're kind of just skipping over. We sell drugs. Don't we, we, we push? Yeah, we're pushers and recruiting is the drug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, honestly, you know, our supply that's been coming in from our like, cartel has been has been drying up lately when it comes to football and basketball right we just got a new shipment in and that's ucla basketball recruiting and the hope over the season um first off i just want to say did anyone watch watch the tape that mike regalado put up of Jalen clark (laughs) i did did you (laughs) he's he's gonna be a lot of fun i watched he's gonna be a lot of fun I watched that one clip seriously, and I'm not all about hops. And no, but what's his vertical? Like when you were when you were looking at that, what is his vertical? It's got to be like 42, dude. And then he just went off for 32 points. Yeah, against Sierra Canyon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, and it's funny because I he embodies what what uh, Mick Cronin wants to do at, U, at UCLA: physical, tough athletes who can defend, who are you know are mentally focused. But I think this guy's going to surprise everyone when it comes to offense. Maybe not in his first year, but down. I mean, we this is going to be like a a Norman Powell guy to me. Oh yeah, I think. Yeah. And he's and he's got some size on Norman. Um, he's got size on Norman. You know, this guy's legit six five. Yeah, I want to see him play football. Yeah, can we get him to do that too? Yeah, double dip. Yeah, I yeah. mean a six five, two hundred pound wide receiver with his kind of athleticism makes a lot more money than a six five wing in the NBA. Jalen, you got to listen to us. <laughs> So, okay. All right. So, yeah, he's um, a big part of the future here. Um, so let's put this all in context. So right now, um, UCLA has shown enough that I am super optimistic about not just next year, but the future under Cronin. Like the way that they've developed this team, like this collection of players to looking now like, I would say right now, having watched quite a bit of the Pac-12, UCLA looks like one of the two or three best teams in the league. Yes. That would be my my look at what it is right now. Um, obviously, that's not the overall picture because they had to take some lumps to get there. But right now, they're playing like one of the two or three best teams. Stop just right there for a second. Is USC one of those top two or three? You could make an argument. Are, would you say, after watching USC, that they're the most talented team probably in the League? They're definitely up there. It's wow, it's, they are so talented. They are, and even though they're pl- they're having a decency, they are so underachieving again. Given their talent, Andy Enfield's a horrible coach. Wow, I can't believe I'm I'm stunned when I watch them and how talented they are. Yeah, no, he, he he's he's a truly horrible coach. <laughs> okay, um, I just. Yeah, okay, but right, no, exactly, and I think, um, but UCLA definitely has an argument to being in that conversation. Now, all that said, the optimism for next year is dependent on a few things. Um, Right now, Chris Smith is starting to look more like a fringe-ish NBA draft prospect. Earlier in the year, didn't look like he'd have any chance. Even now, he's not showing up in many many mock drafts, but I think there might be a little bit of a delay there. Yeah, aren't those always behind? Sometimes, yes, sometimes no. UCLA being kind of an obscure non-tournament team to the, you know, watching eyes at this point might be playing a factor there where just teams haven't caught up. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, do I think he's an obvious, like, first-rounder right now? Eh, No, I don't. Um, But... We've seen a lot of UCLA prospects make um, decisions even when they aren't rated for the first round in the past. Um, so there is an element, and this is true about UCLA, where there's so many agents and various folks around the program that guys will have so much just smoke blown up their butts for so long that they just make bad decisions. And, and on top of that, even beyond the undue influences, and trying to explain this to fans, they they just can't get it because they look at it, and I understand that's how that I look at it too. You go, that makes no logical sense. You you know you're not going to get drafted, but fans don't understand the environment and the mindset that all of these kids grow up with. It's 
They don't want just get this out of the way. No, almost none of these kids want to play college basketball. They're all just playing for the NBA. This is a this is a stopover. I mean, there are exceptions, and I love it when people point out exceptions. But generally, so many of the kids that are are big time kids in college basketball don't want to be in college. There are you know there are some great kids out there, but most of them. All they're thinking about is the NBA. They've been thinking about it their whole lives. Their families are thinking about it. Their families have invested so much in them going to the NBA. Their families and everyone around them do not give them an accurate picture of who they are. They all think they are the next coming of fill in the blank. LeBron James to Kobe Bryant to any – this is what they all feel. Yeah. if they're not performing well on the college level, it's just because somehow they're getting the short shrift with their coach or something. But they all have been told this, and they don't. It's not like us where we can evaluate things objectively. There is no objectivity in their lives. Yeah. <laughs> so, and an added detriment is is UCLA is not an easy academic environment. It's there are schools where some players can go and they literally don't do a lot of schoolwork and they're fine. UCLA, you've got to do at least a little bit of schoolwork. And it and it's annoying to these kids who just they are not students. They do not see themselves as students. They see themselves as basketball players. So I just you got to lay that groundwork whenever you're talking about where people are looking down on a decision that we all know might be foolish. But we've got to be able to put ourselves in those shoes and understand why those bad decisions are being made. Yeah, and I wouldn't knock him for it. I mean, it is uh, if if that ends up being the case. But I would say if you look at him right now, I, I think he is probably not a first rounder. I think he'd probably get drafted. I don't think he'd get drafted in the first round. Just hasn't been enough consistency. He's not. He's a good athlete, and he's he is really long. It, he's not like I don't know a jump out of the gym athlete. Um, if he if he went to the workouts, he could maybe work himself in, right? He'd yeah, have maybe to, work that, himself that into be- like the the bottom of the first round. <laughs> yeah, totally. If he comes back, um, Pac-12 Player of the Year is on the table, um, leading a team that makes a medium to deep tournament run is on the table and being the leading scorer scoring like, you know, 17, 18 points a game with, you know, six or seven rebounds, that's all on the table. Um, If he did that, there are still NBA teams that are going to draft on performance. A lot of them draft on upside. A lot of them still, you know, you put up some gaudy numbers, somebody's going to make a decision. Um, I think he would play himself into the first round. He's one of those guys who, if you look at him, like his career arc at this point, he's improving every year. Like he's making a big leap up every year. His turnover rate has gone down every year. His assist rate has gone up every year. His rebounding rates have gone up every year. His shooting has gotten better every single year. Um, he's become a more confident player every single year. Um, he's using more possessions every single year. Um, if you just project again that same level of improvement next year, he's going to be in the like top two or three for Pac-12 Player of the Year. Um, he's going to have potential to be like a, you know, some version of All American. That's on the table. Um, so I think it would be um, 
a patient decision from him to stick around, um, but I think it would ultimately be a good one um, because I think he'd be getting himself in a better position to make an immediate impact in the NBA and um, get himself a little bit more money when he actually goes. Yeah, I mean, and maybe we're digressing a little bit too much, but I find this really interesting, and I don't know all the details, and maybe you do. Um, the difference between, let's say if he went right this year and he's a second-round pick, and then next year he's a first-round pick or, a, or let's say, a lottery pick, um, the difference in contracts, salary, do you know that off the top of your like little Stephen Hawking brain? Or, I mean, I know the general trend has been the general assumption is that your guaranteed contract, you know, first round is a guaranteed contract and second rounders don't get a guarantee. But I, I think the trend has been lately is that more second round picks have been getting that guaranteed contract. Yeah, and so- that has been what has compelled people to go because a higher percentage of second rounders are getting guaranteed contracts. Yeah, let's let's go like top 15-ish because I think that's about where he'd go, like 15th if he had a really good senior season, something like okay. that, right? Okay. Um, that would entail a total contract package of something like 15 million bucks over four years. Okay. Um, if you went at the end of the first round, it would be more like mm, nine. So it's a difference of about six million bucks over four years. See him, but so many of what they think is I'm underappreciated. I, all I need to do is get my foot in the door and then, you know, then I sign my second contract and that's where I'm going to make my money. As soon as I can prove it, I'll go to the G league. I'll bl- and, and it's not unprecedented. People have gone to the G league and, and then <laughs> done well, signed a big second contract and made a lot of money. And, and, I'm just I'm leading up to providing the basis for why I think Chris Smith is going to go. I mean, he thought about it last year. He considered it last year. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I, I know I'm blowing everyone's just that hope we were talking about because thinking about him coming back next year is so huge and would be have such an effect on this team and this program. Yes, you are. But I think I have to say I think he's going to go well, pro. And I, I, based I, on some information and just doing the numbers and things and how kids think, I think he's going to go pro. Yeah, um, and I agree. Um, now looking at it, so does Chris Smith leaving? If he does leave, does that change the overall complexion for next year? It does. But look, um, if we're going to start going back to the Ben Howland analogies, which I love to do. Uh, ben Howland uh, lost Dijon Thompson uh, from his 2004 team, and Thompson was a huge linchpin of that team um, that made the tournament, and uh, he was the leading scorer and everything. And then the next year, they were without him, so, oh, no, we lost their leading scorer. And then they went to the Final Four um, because the main thing was the core of the defense returned. Um, so if Chris Smith is the only one who leaves for you know, greener pastures, you're still looking at Hawkes, who comes back and is clearly already one of the critical defensive players, um, often drawing the assignment of the best um, opposing player. Um, You've got Tiger Campbell, who's improved as a defensive player over the course of the years. He's gotten a little bit healthier. And Jalen Hill, 
And this is another one to talk about because Jalen Hill has been the critical piece of basically all of the interior defense. What are we thinking about Jalen Hill in terms of his decision making going forward? Yeah, that's, I, I mean, you'd have just from someone watching you, you'd say, obviously, I've got to just say it. It, it. He'd be silly to do it. Obviously. But, but you have to take into consideration, I would say, and I'm going to just say it generally that. A lot of these guys don't want to be in school. They don't want to go to school. They would rather just go play basketball. Um, in the G League, even, probably. So I would say there's a decent chance Jalen Hill goes pro. Uh, right now, I'd, I'd have to say overall he returns. <clears throat> but yeah. I'd say there's a decent, decent chance that he, that he goes pro. Yeah. And that would be, um, that's the one that I think would actually be more devastating. Because Chris Smith, you're losing some scoring. And not to like denigrate him as a defensive player, because I think he's been solid this year. But I think Hill is much more critical to the thing that is what has changed the culture, which is that kind of defensive um, style. And uh, if you don't have him coming back, then that becomes a, a bigger question mark again, um, interior defense generally, and also um, just post-depth entirely. Because if you're talking about Hill and Smith potentially both leaving, um, Smith's basically been playing a ton of four, um, and Hill, obviously, has been playing a bunch of five. You'd have Cody Riley coming back, um, hopefully. Um, you'd have Cody Riley come back. Because if we're talking about guys who flirted with the NBA... Uh, Cody Riley is also in that group. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's... So, if we're looking at the end of... So, to tie it back to recruiting, because I wanted to bring it back full circle here 15 minutes later, um, one of the big focuses heading into the offseason has to be, first and foremost, re-recruiting guys and just trying to persuade them to come back. You know, just hammering Chris Smith and Jalen Hill, hey, you, you guys are going to be, you know, top two players in the, you know, in the country. Like, you guys are going to be just absolute studs. We're going to run everything for and, you. And Mick Cronin has a lot of history at Cincinnati about guys who returned and, and improved their draft stock. So he has a lot of data he could give these guys. Right. Yeah. So that's on one end. And then the second piece is, even with that, gotta got to get some grad transfer bigs. Got to get them. I would think, I mean, right now there are two scholarships open. And as you said, losing Hill might be more devastating than, well, not more, but has just a, a big impact like Christmas, losing Christmas, just because of death alone. Um, and I'm, I would be, I'm pretty certain that UCLA is going to be involved in the grad transfer market. I've said that so often between football and basketball these last couple of years um, for a post for a post player. Um, and I think, I think they'll, I, I think they'll be kind of an appealing option for some uh, post grad. I can't say post, I'll say bigs because post sounds like they're post grad yeah, getting a postdoc. Uh, <laughs> because I mean, Mick Cronin's offense features 
a post player. As you can see, offensively, I mean, you if you're playing on this team, you've got to get a post to touch. How many years did we just flail around going, please, please give Thomas Welsh touch? Yeah. And the ball would go right by him and various, various post players. But they are all about getting uh, of an inside-out game with Mick Cronin. So I think it would be an appealing option for a lot of senior, well, grad post players. Um, right now, it's impossible to name names of who those of who that could be. Uh, I mean, this isn't football where the season's done in December and everyone can, you know, the season, the basketball keeps going on through March. So we really won't know who's in that transfer portal until later. Right. And I, I wouldn't even want from, if I'm hearing things, I, I can't mention a name. I, that would be really remiss on, well, not remiss. I mean, that would be bad on my part to mention any names um, because they're all just rumors right now anyway. And you don't want to, you know, you don't want to damage any kind of potential scenario. So there's that. I've also heard too, that Kenneth Nuuba is is getting better. Like he's going to be a guy who will be able to play. So just let's keep that in mind, and we'll keep that in a minimum right there. That he's a guy who will be able to play. Okay, from what I've heard. But you're right. I'd say. I mean, let's talk ideal scenario. You know, Chris Smith does return. They convince him. Jalen Hill re- returns. They have two open scholarships. They get a post. Uh, they get a grad transfer big. And then you have one more open. Um, ideally, I think it would be another grad transfer shooter, scorer, um, mostly because unless a 2020 recruit is really exceptional or a multi-year transfer is really an exceptional guy, a, a player and prospect. I would, I'd rather just hold that scholarship for the 2021 class because if they fill up right now on non-grad transfers, they don't have a lot. They won't have any scholarships to give to 2021. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it would have to be a grad transfer at that point. I don't think you want to. Um... Or like I said, Dave, a multi-year transfer who's as good as anyone you could get in 2021. Sure, yeah, that would also be fine. But basically, you don't want to do the Alford thing where you load up on guys just to fill out the class who are just unplayable at this level. Right. Um, Which is what the early Alford era entailed a lot of. Um, But it's exciting to think about just even next year with Dacian Nix. Yeah. uh, What he will do. You know, if he's going to Lonzoize the situation. Well, and that's the thing is, you look at a guy like Chris Smith, and one of the things that I've said is like getting him more kind of catch and shoot opportunities from the perimeter. I think he has the potential to be a really good three point shooter, um, but he doesn't get it in a lot of like necessarily the best spots. Um, somebody who's going to get work, who's going to get him open looks like a Knicks, um, that's got to be enticing for him. Um, just from like a, oh, I could really put up some numbers perspective. He's um, only shooting 31% from three. I would have thought it was a little bit better than that. He's, he's gone down a little bit in conference play. Um, I've got it at 32%, but maybe I'm looking at the wrong thing. Um, I'm looking at, it says 30, 31.3. Got it. 
Um, but his free throw rate, he's at, I think, 86% right now um, from the stride. So, anyway, um, but getting him the ball in better spots um, from a guy like Knicks um, would be huge. And uh, just getting another person out there who's like a real um, ball handler. Because um, David Singleton's doing, you know, yeoman's work out there. I but, knew you were going to say that. But he's not. For the yeoman. He's not the the press break guy, and I think a lot of times they've struggled when he's had to be either the primary or secondary ball handler when they're trying to break the press. Um, getting and thinking like, about Dacian Nix, I mean, I, I you keep saying Lonzo Ball, he's not Lonzo Ball. I just want to say that, but his game is really similar. Like what the kind of impact he would have, and I'm just saying, I'm not saying the amount of impact, but the kind of impact the distributor facilitator who's finding people open looks and just that is who this guy is. He's, I mean, Alonzo ball is the best passer I've seen as a West coast prospect, you know, God, in a very long time, I would have to really start thinking about other point guards in the West, but Dacia Nix is number two for me of what I've seen. What, uh, what an old man can remember right now. Um, so he will have that impact of what you're saying. And you'd have to think Mick Cronin would say, Hey, Chris, come here. Look at, look at video of this dude. <laughs> do you understand what he's going to do for you? So, yeah. Yeah. So that's all very exciting. Um, and, uh, tantalizing. Um, if UCLA can get the right mix of guys coming back, um, potential to be very good next year. Um, so, you know, I would say to, um, uh, they will, like I said, they they want to save some scholarships for 2021. But if there are some uh, multi-year transfers out there who aren't happy with where they are, and they look at Mick Cronin, they look at Los Angeles, and they look at the time, type of program it is and what he's teaching, I could see that being very attractive to uh, – Guys who were highly ranked recruits who aren't necessarily uh, getting playing time where they currently are and maybe look at, at UCLA as, as an option. Yeah. Just wanted to say it that way. Cool. All right, so that's enough on hoops. Um, obviously, today's game is critical, and we'll be watching closely, and you'll probably be listening to this afterwards. So what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> now, football, uh, we did want to touch on one Kind of just a silly little item from this past week. Uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson's been posting on social media. He's been doing that. <laughs> yeah. So he posted on, was it his Instagram story or Snapchat or some crap? It was, it was Snapchat. Um, was it F-U-C-L-A? Was that what it was? Yes. Okay. So that wasn't great. In all lowercase, by the way. Yeah, come on. At least get the style guide right, man. I mean, I know you. I mean, that was the bigger disrespect, wasn't well, it? It's just, look, <laughs> I, I like the way the New York Times does it with the little periods after each two. I love that. Pick one I or the other. That. Don't don't give me this all lowercase crap. Come on. Yeah. 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 So, it was unfortunate. Uh, there's been a... A, you know, discussion on our forum. And if you haven't seen it, you should probably go there because it's actually very interesting. And, um, 
I can I confirm that it was him because a lot of people thought that you know like his account had been hacked or that it was Dorian Thompson Robinson that did post that, uh, and. You know, uh, doing this job, Dave, as you know, you try to be the voice of reason. You try to, like, you know, just think about something from a, you know, stepped back standpoint. And once I did that, I still thought, yeah, that was bad. Yeah. <laughs> he needs to be disciplined for that. There's no other way around it. That's that's just bad. You, you just can't. You can't do that. You are making a public statement. And like it or not, Snapchat is a public statement platform so yeah. there and i've heard that it has been recognized as a large mistake um i'm not going to say what it was about because that's just not i don't find it appropriate for me to talk about what it was about what his frustration with ucla was about but i'll say this it might impact the team there you go not great Threw it out there. Not great. Yeah. So uh, the lesson is always, kids, uh, don't don't use social media. Yeah. Is that a lesson that anyone in a younger generation is ever going to take to heart? Do you think? Is oh. it's? I mean, let's just let's just just focus on athletes. It's such a part of their lives. Well, it's a really nefariously designed structure. Like all these things are um, like full on addictive um, in a really, really unhealthy way. Um, so, no, I mean, I think we'll, we'll need some there will need to be some sort of um, reckoning with all of the bad effects of it. Um, people making bad decisions. Look, um, everyone before the age of 25 is a dumbass. Everyone. Um, and we all, Stephen Hawking, everybody, okay. Okay. and we all do stupid things before we're 25. And that's something that we all have to acknowledge and reckon with. And it's fine. That's understood. Um, but now it's all very public because people issue. make their stupid decisions and then they post it on their stupid things and then they have stupidity out there. Um, and that's the, that's unfortunate because people should be allowed to, you know, do their stupid things in the quiet of their own homes, right? We should start a social media platform that's just called stupidity. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is what Snapchat is um, yeah. and TikTok and all this stuff. Um, but it's just, you know, it's unfortunate. You, you would like people to have the freedom to be idiots. Um, and that's slowly getting robbed of everyone. And it's sad. it's kind of like it's kind of like our it's kind of like our forums, too. I mean, especially when it's anonymous. I mean. Our forums, I'd say, are 85% great people who are great fans. But there's an element out there, you know. And it, it, it similarly to social media, it gives you a platform to expose yourself. Yeah. <laughs> All of some of the – and I'm, I'm, you and I are guilty of it as much as anyone. And we're very aware of it and trying not to do it. And we're old people. I'm going to call you old, Dave. Sorry. Um, I think I'm there. Yeah. Uh, so when you're young like that, I'm sure there's just nothing that is there that little, little, uh, what would you call it? Is it what part of Freud? Is it the id? No, super id, super ego. The super or, ego is the good part. The id is the bad part and the ego is the middle part. 
Right. So it'd be the superego saying, don't do that. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't think, I think social media eliminates superego. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's got, there's just a few bad, very bad qualities about it. Um, yeah. So, well, anyway, hopefully DTR learns from it. Um, but, and then we have spring football coming up and we are going to be blessed with all of David Woods's spring football. Oh yeah. They're coming. I'm on the edge of my, they're coming out hot, probably starting tomorrow, probably starting on the beautiful Sunday. Really? On Sunday? I like to give gifts on Sunday. Sunday? Yep. Oh, my gosh. Sunday, I am, Sunday, I'm, Sunday. <laughs> I, I was going to go off and go to the beach or something, but now... No, I'm now you sit, just got to gotta stay chained to your desk. Chained to my desk. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, Dave, thanks for ruin, well, ruining my Sunday. Yeah, I well, know. What's going to be the first one? Is it going to be quarterback preview? I, 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 as was once the way of our people, yeah, it's going to be quarterbacks. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. It's gonna be fun. It's yeah. Be a good time. Everyone, just say goodbye to your families tomorrow. <laughs> Reading that, I don't know, eight hundred to a thousand words in capsule form that might really, uh, really take you all day. There's a I guess they could do. I guess they could read it on their mobile devices. Yeah, maybe. But don't you want to? You want to pay full attention. You don't want to be distracted. Your kids yapping in your ear. When you're just yeah, trying to read that, your kids aren't video. yapping in your ear. They're they're like looking at their phones and their Instagram and all of their. Like my kids are out there screaming somewhere right now. I can hear them. <laughs> you have yet to give your oldest child access to a cell phone, right? No. Yeah, there's not. That's not. That's. Are not you going to be one of those? <laughs> are you going to be one of those silly parents that think you're going to be able to hold out? Um. No. But I, I okay. do want to. I do want to delay that as long as humanly possible. I was one of those delayers, and then what you get are you know, every every one of my friends has a cell phone and has had one for two years. No one can get a hold of me. No one can find me. I can't communicate. What if I just need homework from someone, Dad? Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for me. Got anything else? No. All I right. Think we. We've touched on Stephen Hawking, social media. Wow. Ben Howland pissing um, in our studio. We've done a lot of stuff, Dave. I think it's very worthy of a... Beautiful. That's so bad. That's Everyone so bad. Just, just click out of this right now. <laughs> All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Brand Report Online. Enjoy the Colorado game today, and we'll talk to you again next time. Thanks, guys.